I am delighted to be joined by the Attorney General of Connecticut, just elected for his second term. This will be a monthly feature, talking to William Tong this morning. Mr. Attorney General, thank you for joining me for today. And let's talk about the beginning of your new term. What things are on your agenda that you want to get done in the next four years? And what things were begun in the last term that you want to finish the job this term? Well, let's start in your neck of the woods, and and Happy New Year, and thank you so much for having me on, Wayne. I look forward to having our monthly chats, and at some point I'll get up at the crack of dawn and make it out there for an in-studio. But we're going to start in in your neck of the woods with, you know, Wyndham Hospital and um, the closure of the maternity and birthing center, and this is an issue across the state, not just at Wyndham, but also at Sharon Hospital on the total opposite side of the state. So I'm focused on healthcare. I'm focused on healthcare access. I'm focused on healthcare consolidation. So that's going to be a big part of our push going forward. And speaking of this neck of the woods, you're out here in November to announce some money that came from the Johnson & Johnson opioid crisis, and uh, you gave two different chunks of money when you made that appearance at the Emergency Operations Center at the Willimantic Fire Department. Tell me about the settlement and what that money that came to Wyndham and Willimantic is going to be used for. So overall, um, I've recovered more than $50 billion since I became Attorney General for the state. Um, Connecticut will see hundreds of millions of dollars from that settlement um, today, more than I think $500 million will come into Connecticut. And and that's not just from Johnson & Johnson, but from the three major drug distributors, Amerisource, Bergen, Cardinal, and McKesson, and a whole host of other manufacturers, uh, marketing companies, um, and consultants who have helped to fuel what I believe is the worst public health crisis in America, COVID notwithstanding, you know, um, hopefully COVID is, is more or less behind us or increasingly behind us. And although uh, people need to be careful this winter, um, we're seeing an uptick um, in, in cases and, and um, the, the latest variant is troublesome, but at the end of the day, hopefully we'll move beyond COVID, but we'll still be stuck with, the opioid and addiction crisis. And that's why I wanted to be uh, in Wyndham to announce um, some of the millions of dollars that are flowing into communities like Willimantic and Wyndham and the surrounding region. Um, because Connecticut is a small, hard-hit state, that's how we are seen by the other states in this crisis. And on top of that, it is the rural communities like Wyndham and Willimantic in eastern Connecticut that are most hard-hit in our state. And you just touched on the COVID pandemic. What things in your office go to try to stem the tide of what's going on? I know DPH does most of the heavy lifting, but are there things that the Attorney General's office does to to try to make things more manageable? Yeah, I mean, certainly credit goes to the governor and the Department of Public Health um, and his emergency response team. But very early on, the Office of the Attorney General I was at the governor's side advising him on his executive orders that kept us safe. I argued the very first case challenging the governor's authority in the state Supreme Court. I won that case. Um, I helped the governor um, personally made phone calls to broker the largest PPE shipment, uh, personal protective equipment shipment to Connecticut. I think it's like a $6.5 million shipment of masks and gowns and face shields. So 
in that moment, you might not think that the attorney general is the one making phone calls to get PPE. But remember, back in early 2020, um, all hell broke loose, you know, and there's no there's no rule book. There's no roadmap. And uh, it's all hands on deck. So I just got on the phone and um, called my contacts and he was calling his contacts and we were doing everything we could to grab PPE. You know, you may remember stories of plane loads of PPE coming into, you know, LaGuardia and JFK. And we thought that was our plane load and some other state grabbed it. And so it was, it was just that chaotic. And um, as an attorney general, it was my job to help the governor fight those fights on a day-to-day basis. And I remember, speaking of the PPE, that we ended up going for whatever PPPs were available and actually competing with other states to get it. Were you involved in that part of the equation? Yes, I was. And it was ugly and hard. And sometimes we won those battles and sometimes we lost. Um but, um, you know, you're fighting against your neighbors and your friends. And uh, it was New York and Massachusetts, and everyone was just trying to grab uh, PPE and masks for, for their own citizens. And, and that's their job, and that's our job. You are a Connecticut native, grew up in the Hartford area, attended schools in West Hartford, graduated Phillips Academy in Andover, Brown University, and the University of Chicago Law School. I am curious, at what point... If your law background and being a lawyer, did being an attorney general for a state show up on your radar? Yeah, I'll be very honest. I, I never thought it would happen. Sure, if you asked me when I was in the legislature, what job would you love to have? Um, most lawyers who serve in the legislature, many lawyers in Connecticut would say the best job in state government is to be the state's attorney general. Um as I start my second term, I can tell you, I can't think of five lawyer jobs in the world that I would rather have than than being your attorney general, being one of the 56, because we have states, territories, and the district, one of the 56 attorneys general in this country to fight Johnson & Johnson and the opioid crisis, to take on Facebook and Google and the social media companies to take on Juul, to take on Eversource and United Illuminating. It is a huge honor to fight for Connecticut families every single day. But like most people, I thought that George Jepson was going to run free election in late 2017. And he surprised everybody when he said um, that he was not going to run free election. I was at the time the sitting chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the legislature I had more or less been trained for this job, and so I was ready to go when when it opened. So what do they say? Life favors the prepared, I guess. So what's a typical day like for you? I mean, you're not always in court. Uh, no. Um, uh, we have an army of lawyers um, who will be in court, you know, <laughs> probably the next hour. And, and uh, in the most important cases and the most pivotal moments, like defending uh, the governor's authority during a pandemic, I will, I will take those cases myself. But, you know, this morning I begin the long commute from Stanford to Hartford. Um, I have a couple of meetings in the office. I'll be having lunch with the Consumer Council, Claire Coleman. Now, why is that important? Well, the Consumer Council advocates for ratepayers. Um, 
uh, on our electricity bills, on our water bills, our gas bills, utility bills. So she's she is a dedicated advocate who um, is a you know a state official who fights for us against rate hikes, and of course we're seeing massive rate hikes, um, massive increases in costs on electricity, a proposed increase on water that's huge. And so I've got to sit with Claire and we're going to talk strategy over lunch and figure out how we're going to protect Connecticut ratepayers. So I'll do that. Then I got to go back to the office. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not all, you know, courtroom battles and, and high profile cases. You know, I run a state agency of more than 300 people. So I got a bunch of meetings this afternoon about my um, administrative priorities, hiring, HR, um, all those issues are really important to me, too. So I got to run a, you know, I essentially have to run a business. I have to run an office. Where do things stand with Eversource right now and the rate hikes? It's really that we haven't seen it show up in the bills yet because it's January and it's been warm. We haven't really seen the wicked cold except for a couple days around Christmas. But you had said recently that it was illegal for Eversource to pass on their added fuel costs for consumers but the utility commission reported it has no authority under the deregulation law to challenge or stop their rate increase. So which one is it? So uh, at the end of the day, um, we have this system where the public utilities regulatory authority um, approves or disapproves of rate hikes. And and what's actually happening here, and I've explained this, um, with respect to Eversource and electricity, winter rates are always higher than summer rates. But this has been a the, the these rates have more than doubled essentially um, since uh, since the fall since the summer rates and and we have rarely seen increases this big and it's due in part to the global price of natural gas which is uh, a lot of what we depend on for electricity and that's driving. Um, a lot of the increase, and, and that's something candidly that we don't have a lot of control over, and neither does Eversource. At the end of the day, however, Eversource makes hundreds of millions of dollars in earnings. Um, last year, I think they made more than five or six hundred million dollars. And what I said is, even if this is due to the global price of natural gas, and there's a spike in the price of natural gas. Eversource needs to dig deep and be part of the solution. And I asked them to give 10% of that 50 or $500 million and give us $50 million to ratepayers to help offset this huge spike. They have so far refused to do that. And then on top of that, Eversource also owns Aquarian Water, and they're asking for a 27% increase uh, in their water rates. And I've said that's not acceptable and in this moment unwarranted and excessive and i'm fighting in front of the public utilities regulatory authority to deny them any increase of course rip from today's headlines is the first availability of recreational marijuana including at one outlet here in willimantic are our state laws ready for that what kind of enforcement power does the ag department have over this you know, the, regulate, the regulator in the first instance is the Department of Consumer Protection. Obviously, I'm there um, in case anybody engages in any unfair or deceptive acts and practices. What does that mean? 
in case any business um, engages in abusive or unfair business tactics and tries to rip people off, um, I'll be there to hold them accountable. At the end of the day, it is the Department of Consumer Protection. I think they've got a pretty good handle on it. I don't have to tell you because it's been reported in the press. It's been a little bumpy, but when you do something new like this, that's a huge undertaking when you're starting from, well, we had a very strong medical program, so I guess we didn't start at zero. Um, maybe we started at 30 miles an hour and now we're at 60 miles an hour. Um, you know, to take it from one level to another is always a huge undertaking and, and it's always very challenging, but I think we're in good shape. Another issue that affects a lot of consumers, I get them, probably you get them too, robocalls and just spam calls in general. You've been fighting for that. What's the latest on that front? So a couple of major developments over my four years as attorney general. The first was I banded together with other state attorneys general to force telecommunications to agree to a number of commitments. Um, Those commitments largely centered around helping us investigate robocallers and scammers and giving us um, raw information and material um, that we need from them and documents. Um, The second thing that we get them to agree to is to use technology, to deploy technology to protect us. So at some point, maybe today, Wayne, you'll get a call on your phone that says potential spam, right? It'll read potential spam on on your smartphone. And, and that's technology called stir shaken that we force the telecom companies to use. And that is one layer of protection that, that all of us have. On top of that, though, we've discovered that there are a number of bad actors like there are in the opioid and addiction industry and, and at various levels. And one of the worst are the so-called gateway providers. Now, what do they do? They do what it sounds like they do. They're the gateway for incoming robocall traffic, mostly from outside of this country. And they're not doing their jobs. They're not policing the traffic. They're not taking it down. In fact, we have evidence that they're enabling it and selling directly to people they know who are scammers uh, and robocallers. So I have joined together with a, with a fellow attorney general who's a Republican. We do this um, often. Democrats and Republicans come together. I'm a Democrat. And uh, the Attorney General of Indiana and I are leading this effort against these so-called 20 of worst of the worst gateway providers. And by the way, a little tongue-in-cheek note here, is one of the best parts of your job finding homes for neglected goats? <laughs> you know, it, it, it is, you would you'd be surprised at how big a part of my job it is. There are many parts of my job that that don't often make um, the front page. Um, you know that I represent state agencies, the Department of Corrections, that's tough work, the Department of Children and Families, um, that's um, oftentimes heart-wrenching and difficult work. But I represent the Department of Agriculture. And I, I think in my, my first um, month or two, I walked in the office and my environment chief told me we had to go to Suffield and seize over 200 uh, barn animals. And people who, who, you know, either don't love animals or aren't, you know, in agriculture might chuckle a little bit. But these are often very sad cases. And, and I know out um, in Wyndham and Willimantic, there are plenty of people who are engaged in agriculture, 
and and love animals um, and care for animals. These are often very sad cases where the animals have been neglected. Many, when we take custody of them, have to be euthanized because they're in such tough, such tough shape. We've dealt with with horses, um, again with farm animals, and in this case, it was more than. 60-something, I think, was the count, um, more than 60-something goats um, in Reading that were um, in a really sorry state. Um, by somebody who um, is ostensibly an, an animal advocate, but people get in over their heads, and and they have either financial challenges or other challenges, and they lose control of the situation, and um we found we found goats that were not just in bad shape, but goats that had been um, that had either died or been killed, and had been, you know, buried in a makeshift grave or not buried at all. You know, stuffed in a plastic bag. These are very, very sad. Again, again, sad and horrific instances of animal abuse and. When that happens, i got to step in there and take action. William, I really appreciate you joining me this morning, and we'll look forward to monthly visits down the road. We'll cover other issues as well. Thanks very much. Thanks, Wayne. Talk to you soon. Attorney General William Tong, our guest this morning. You might have seen him at the Boombox Parade back on the 4th of July, and I'll bet you'll see him again this 4th of July as well, as we'll cover other issues. And you notice he's very focused on what's happening in this area as well. Attorney General William Tong on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.